chapter 14, we have the end of Paul and Barnabas' first missionary journey. If you go back to chapter 13, they start, they're sent out from their church there in Antioch, and then through chapters 13 and chapter 14, they go around preaching the gospel, uh, starting churches, uh, discipling many things. And when you come down to the end of chapter 14, let's pick up in verse 24, Acts chapter, 14, Acts chapter 14, verse 24, says, And after they had passed through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. And when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down into Italia, and thence sailed to Antioch, from whence they had been recommended to the grace of God for the work which they fulfilled. And when they were come and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them, and how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles, and there they abode long time with the disciples. This is what we as missionaries call furlough. Paul and Barnabas had finished the journeys that they were taking, and they went back to the church there at Antioch, the church that sent them out, and reported what had happened. I wish I could have been in that meeting there listening to Paul and Barnabas talk about the stories and how God had blessed. Not all of it was exciting. Uh, if you go... Back to verse 19, the very end there, supposing he had been dead. They stoned him, thought he was dead. Those weren't the happy times. (laughs) I can tell you Paul was not so excited about that. So through this journey, there were a lot of bad things that happened to them, the persecutions, the people following them, beating them. But the blessing was people getting saved, lives being changed. And If you think about it, at the end of verse 27, it says how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. That's a very interesting statement because during this time, and now today we hear of anti-Semitism. That's all over the news and everything. Well, in this time, there was anti-Gentileism, if you want to call it that. And what I mean by that is many of the Jews who had gotten saved did not believe that Gentiles could be saved. They thought salvation was only for them. They considered Gentiles to be dogs. So if a a Gentile could get saved, basically they said, well, they got to keep the law. If you go down to chapter 15, verse 1, the very end of that verse, except you be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. So there was a lot of prejudice of the Jews against the Gentiles saying they cannot be saved, number one. Number two, if they can be saved, they have to keep the law. Well, I'm so thankful that is not God's plan, that we can be saved without the deeds of the law. It is by grace through faith, just like every person in the world. But imagine this this meeting that Paul and Barnabas had with his church. Some of them may have been very excited at what Paul and Barnabas had done. Some of them may have been kind of, hmm, yeah, maybe. And there were others that were probably saying, no, I don't think so. But what a story that Paul would be able to come back and talk about how God opened the door of faith. And that's what I'd like to do for the next few minutes is basically share with you how God has opened the door of faith to the Ugandan people. God has called us there to Uganda. We've now been there 25 years. And it's such a blessing to be able to see some of the fruit from way back in the beginning, see those young people that are growing up and see pastors that have been there that have been faithful serving the Lord. It's such a blessing. Now, some people may not know what a missionary does. They might think he, he goes there and he starts orphanages and he digs wells and starts schools. And, and those are good things. Those are not bad things. But that's not a missionary's number one priority. 
A missionary's number one priority is preaching the gospel, telling people how that they can be saved. Those that do get saved, then we baptize them. That public profession of faith in Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection. And then we disciple them. And those people that we've discipled, we gather them together into a church. That's what a missionary does. That is basically the Great Commission, as we talked about in the teen class this morning, found in Matthew chapter 28. That's what we're doing. Now, when we go to another country, the message does not change. Okay, there is no change of message because there is only one gospel. But some of the methods change a little bit because you have different cultures. People are not the same as Americans all over the world. I don't know if you knew that. If you've gone outside the country, you understand that. If you've only ever been in America, you might think the rest of the world is like America. It's not. And they do things differently. Now, in America, many times we would say they do them backwards. But sometimes I wonder who is really the backward one. They don't have a lot of technology, but they know how to use their brain. Uh, we have been blessed in America, but we've become comfortable. And we let computers and phones and all that do the work for us. Most of those people don't have the technology that we have. And so they actually have to use their brain and they actually use their muscles. And so it's not that they're backwards. They just don't have the technological advances that we do today. Now, uh, what I mean by that is, as we preach the gospel, we have to come up with very creative ways to give them the gospel. One way that we do that is learning the language. <laughs> Uganda has 50 languages. Now, I don't know how many counties does Nebraska have? Anybody know? 92. Imagine if every two counties there was a different language. That's Uganda. Now, Uganda is about the size of Oregon. Oregon has 4 million people. Uganda has 40 million people with 50 different languages. And so if you're going to do a work, you have to learn a language. Wherever you're at, whatever district you go to is going to be a different language. And so the district you go to, you have to learn the language. You can get by knowing English in the town, but if you're going to go in the village to do any kind of work, you have to learn the language because that is their culture. If you really want to learn their culture, you have to learn their language. Now, again, I mentioned that the message we preach doesn't change. Salvation by grace through faith, there is no difference. When we went to Uganda the first, there were two groups of people. They were either Muslim or they were Christian. Now you think, oh, 40 million people, Muslim or Christian, so why are we even there? Because everybody claims to be a Christian. Well, the problem is those who claim to be Christian, their idea of Christianity is baptism. Uh, being born in a Christian family, doing good deeds. They don't understand that salvation is only by grace through faith. And so when we preach the gospel, we have to first of all get them lost, if you know what I mean, and then we can give them the gospel. Because if they don't see a need for salvation, if they don't see that they are in need of a Savior, why believe? And so we have to many times preach to them to get them lost, then we can help them get saved. What we do is we go into town and make contacts with them. We talk with them. Uh, they obviously know we are not from there. Okay, that was a joke. <laughs> they, they realize we're not from there. So why are you here in Uganda? Oh, we're here preaching the gospel. Oh, okay. We love the word of God. Would you come to our house and share the word with our family? Oh, absolutely. 
We make an appointment to go there. They've invited all their friends and neighbors, and we have a chance to preach the gospel to many people. As we do business in town, we talk to people. We purposely take a few extra minutes to get to know the people. Uh, if it's the hardware store, if it's the, the, the market, wherever we go, we go to the same places and we get to know those people. We make contacts with them. We build relationships with them. And then when they hear what we say and they see our life, they'll say, okay, you are different. I think I'll listen to you. Sometimes we'll have evangelistic services where we will bring in people specifically to preach the gospel to them. Sometimes we'll have ladies' conferences. Sometimes we'll have parent conferences or youth conferences, bringing those people in so that we can specifically preach the gospel to them. There's a lot of elderly people in Uganda that feel helpless and hopeless. If you cannot work in the, if you cannot work in the fields, what value do you have? Many of the elderly people, they go to their villages and they just basically go to the village to die. And their family is kind of looking at them thinking, you're eating my food, but you're not working. When are you going to? So they, they have this mindset many times, the elderly ones, that they, they have no hope. They have nothing, no value in life. And so we have what we call aged conferences. We don't call them old people conferences. Amen? We call them aged conferences. And so we invite people that are 40 and above, and they come, we play games with them, and we preach to them, and we've had many of these elderly people that have gotten saved, which is a blessing because by the next time, by the next year, when we have the age conference again, many of them have died. Uh, but they tell us no other church has ever done anything like this. No other church cares about us as elderly people. So it's a blessing to be able to take opportunities like that to be able to preach the gospel to the lost. In the video, you saw all those motorcycles. Those motorcycles, uh, the guys that ride them, we call them boda-boda riders. And these boda-boda riders basically are public transportation. They carry you anywhere you want to go. Now, you may have to sit with five or six other people on that motorcycle because I've seen seven people on a motorcycle. Uh, you can carry anything you want on those motorcycles, uh, chickens, goats, pigs, cows, uh, a coffin, three-piece sofa set, you name it. They will carry it on these motorcycles. These guys that drive these motorcycles are not the greatest guys. They're, they're, many of them are young boys. They don't even have licenses. Some of them are involved in theft and different things like that. And, and so they're not really looked up on in society. But we said, you know, Jesus died for those people too, just like everybody else. So let's invite all these motorcycle guys into the church. Who thought of that? <laughs> Now, our church building can hold about 200 people. There's about 1,000 motorcycle riders in Cassese Town. We said we can't handle that many. So we gave out tickets to 200 of these boater riders, and we had 173 that came. They filled the church. We had motorcycles up on the platform. We even had races, motorcycle races in the church. I know you're picturing people being run over by motorcycles. We have a big aisle. It's a bit wider than this one. And we actually did have races from the back to the front. But it wasn't to see who got there the first. It was to see who got there the last. So once, once we say go and you start, you have to pick your feet up. And you can't put your feet back down, but you have to go as slow as you can. And if you've ridden a bike, you know how far you can go without pedaling. Okay, 
keeping that thing as slow, or as slow as possible without falling over. So it was no problem. Nobody got hurt. They just came slow, slow, slow up to the front, and we had the winner of a race. But we had a motorcycle race in the church. What a blessing that was. We played all kinds of games. We had the traffic police come and hopefully teach them about traffic safety because they do not know it. And we fed them a great meal. We gave them all reflector vests. And then we preached the gospel to them. That was the main goal. Uh, it, that was the whole point of the whole day, aside from all the other things, was so that they could hear the gospel. Because most of those people would never come to church. But because we had a conference for them specifically, they would come. And we got a chance to preach the gospel. We had several that got saved that day. And even since then, people have told us that these Boda writers said, there's no other church like your church. Nobody cares about us but your church. And so we're thankful for the opportunity that God has given us in using a creative way to preach the gospel. Once the people get saved, we baptize them because that is the second or that is the first step of obedience. Sometimes it is in a baptistry. Sometimes it's in the river. Uh, sometimes you never know where you're going to baptize, but the whole point is we baptize them by immersion, not sprinkling or pouring, because baptism by immersion is the only picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, that's very important. To us, it's not a big deal. To most people, it's not a big deal because baptism is okay. But in Uganda and many of these countries around the world, when you get baptized, that is signaling that you are turning your back on your family's religion. And when you turn your back on your family's religion, you've basically turned your back on the family. Some of them will be kicked out of their home. Some of them will be cut off. Now, I'm thankful we're not in the area where, they would, where some families would kill them. You have that in the, the uh, northern African countries there. But in ours, they'll cut them off. They'll say, no, you're not a part of the family anymore. And I'm so thankful for those that were willing to stand up for Christ and say, I want to let everybody know I'm a Christian, even knowing my family is going to cut me off. So it's a blessing to see that. And then we disciple them. That's the third part of the Great Commission. Taking them and teaching them, helping them to understand what is a Christian, what God requires of them, how they're to live their life as a Christian. We developed an 18-lesson discipleship program that we go one-on-one -on -one with them, and we disciple them. As we go through them uh, with this discipleship, there are things that they have to apply reading their Bible, teaching them how to pray, learning how to give, attending church, all these things that they don't know about because they've never been in a church that preaches the truth. So we disciple them. We go through this Discipleship 1 program. When they finish that, we take them to Discipleship 2, which teaches them how to disciple someone else. You know, it's amazing that you can learn something if you, when, you are, when you are hearing it, but then when you have to teach it to someone else, you learn it even more. As we would disciple these guys, they would say, Pastor, I've never heard this material before. Well, it's just basic truths from the Word of God, just basic foundational things. But because they were not in a church that preached the gospel, or for any church for that matter, they said, this is amazing. We've never heard this. They would learn it. They would apply it. Then as we would teach them, okay, now you need to take these same things that you've been taught. Now you need to teach someone else. And they would go and, and we would give them a disciple and say, all right, you disciple this one. Their first week, they would come back and say, Pastor, you didn't teach me anything. And I thought, now, wait a minute. I'm the one that discipled you for months on end. But what they were saying was, yes, I taught them, but they learned so much more by them teaching it that it was as if I didn't teach them anything. 
And so they're able to take these lessons now that they've been taught and now they're teaching them to other people. Then they can also go to Discipleship 3, which is our Bible college right there in town. We have Bible Institute on Monday nights and Tuesday night. So they are continuing to learn what God wants them to know. I'm so thankful for those who have gone all the way through. Some of them have graduated, and now they are out pastoring. They're out preaching, and and it's such a blessing to have seen them come from the very beginning, and they go all the way through, and now they are putting into practice all the things that they've been taught. That's what it's about. That's what we're doing there in Uganda. I'm thankful for the church that we started there in Kasese Town uh, in 2015. You know, it kind of follows the pattern of Paul. Paul would go to the main towns, And then from those towns, other churches could get started. But he first went to the main ones, and then from those main churches, others were started. So we started in the town of Kasese. It's a town of about 100,000 people. There's about a million in the district. And so our first church was there in Kasese town. We started it in 2015. Uh, We started in our living room, our dining room. We met around the kitchen table. Then from there, we moved outside in the front yard under a tree, until the rain started coming, and then we had to put some iron sheets on the back porch. We started meeting back there. People began to, uh, more people began to get saved, began to grow, and we said, all right, we've got to find a place in town. And so God provided a place to rent in town. The, the people continued to grow, and we outgrew that place, and finally God gave us a piece of land right in the center of town, right on the main road, and we're so thankful that God gave us that place to be able to build our church building. We started the Bible college to teach those who had gone beyond discipleship too. My wife started a children's class for the young people. Even our children got involved in teaching those things. Uh, And then God provided the finances to build that church building. We paid the engineer to make sure that it was built properly. But then all the rest of the work was just us, uh, the people, the members in the church, giving their labor. And so it was their church. They, you might say, they had skin in the game. And so this wasn't just a a white man's church. This was their church. And we're so thankful for all those who put their time and effort into it. We were able to start a police ministry. Every Monday morning, I'm able to go down to the police and preach to them. They have an assembly every Monday morning, and they give me the opportunity to preach to them and pray with them. And we've seen many officers that have gotten saved. And knowing the police has given us blessings, I tell you. In in a country like Uganda where you don't know what's going to happen the next day, it is a blessing to know the police and to be able to call them and say, hey, is this safe? Are we okay over here? And they are really a help to us. Because of the police ministry, we're able to start the jail ministry. God opened that door, which is a hard door to open because you normally you have to have all kinds of paperwork to get in there. But because the, the chief of police knew us, he knew the work we were doing, he was very willing to open the door to the jail and say, you're welcome to go on in. From the jail ministry, God opened the prison ministry. If it was hard to get into the jail, it's even harder to get into the, into the prisons. But what a blessing it is that we're able to go every week into the prisons. We have two guys that go. One preaches to the group and another disciples. Recently, we've had some rebel attacks in our area. Uh, some, some have come from the border. Some think they're Muslims. There, there's a lot of um, theories about who it is that's attacking. But, so what they've done is they have stopped all religions from entering the prison. Because there's a large group of people in one area, they don't want someone bringing a bomb and killing a bunch of people. So they've stopped all religions from entering, except our church. Our guys are still going every week, and they are able to preach to 200, 300 people in the prisons every week. And it's such a blessing, the open door that God has given to us. 
Brother Brian wanted to start a church in Carasandara, and so we prayed about it. We said, let's start going out there. We started going on a Tuesday. We started having Bible studies. We didn't immediately start a church on Sunday because, again, if you do that, now you are fighting all the other religions because now you're trying to get the people that go to their church to your church. And here's a foreigner in the village who is bringing in a cult. Uh, we've, been, we've been given all the names. We're Illuminati. Um, Every name you can think of that has that been given. And most of the people don't even know what Illuminati is. But they call us the Illuminati. We are taking people under the lake. I've, I've yet to see someone who has been under the lake. But that's what they claim. Oh, you're taking people under the lake to get riches. I said, really? Where is he? I want to find that guy because I'd love to find those riches. So what we do is we don't start on Sundays because, again, then you start that war with the other religions. We start on a Tuesday or a Wednesday or a Thursday. We start having Bible studies. People will come. We're not uh, uh, interrupting their services on Sunday. They come during the week. It's a Bible study. They love religion. They come. They don't hear about religion from us. They hear the truth from God's word. They hear how they can be saved. They get saved, many of them, and we start discipling them. They continue coming on Tuesday or Wednesday or whatever day is. We're discipling them, and, and they'll come and say, Now, Pastor, my religious leader is telling me this, but you're telling me this. I say, Okay, well, what did we tell you? Word of God. Oh, okay. So they have to start making decisions. They have to start thinking, Okay, uh, this is what the leader has said where I have grown up. My parents are in the church. My grandparents are in the church. My great-grandparents founded the church. But now I'm reading the Word of God, and the Word of God is telling me something different. Now, what am I going to do? They keep coming to Bible study. We keep discipling them. And eventually they come and say, Pastor, we don't have any place to go to on Sunday. We need a church started here. That means they've stopped. I didn't tell them to stop. They stopped going because they realized what, they were, what those people were doing lying to them. And so then we start the church. Now the war starts. Oh, yes, here it comes. But now these people can stand toe-to-toe with these religious leaders and be able to share, hey, this is what the Word of God says. Most of these reverends and these so-called leaders there in Uganda, they know their verses about giving and miracles. That's what they know. So they do not know the Scripture. When you finish our discipleship one course, you will know more of the Word of God than most of these so-called reverends. And so by the, by the time they have finished this discipleship, they're not going to be intimidated by these religious leaders because they know this is what the Word of God says. It's not just these verses on giving and miracles, but they can show verses from the Bible about why we do what we do. Now, that's when we can start the church, and we have a good group of people, a good core, and God continues to bless. And so that's how we started there in Karasandara, under the mango tree, Then God provided a piece of land. A man let us use it. Then we were able to buy it. We put up a temporary structure. It fell down, but that was just God's way of saying it's time to build a building. God provided the building, and now they have a beautiful building there in Karasandara, preaching the gospel and seeing people saved. It's such a blessing. COVID affected us in Uganda. Uh, I know it it affected people here, but in 2020, uh, we were locked down for six months. It was tough. Uh, at the beginning, we had no idea what was going on. We, we didn't know if this was a real disease, if it's going to kill everybody in the world. I mean, we had no idea. And so we listened to what they said. They said close for two weeks. Well, six months later, <laughs> we finally opened. And it was tough for the Ugandans because when you think about what they have compared to us, at home, we have refrigerators, we have freezers, we have pantries. Now, think about your house. 
If you could not go shopping, if all stores were closed, how much food do you have in your house? How long could you last? A week? Two weeks? Some of you have, some of you hunters maybe would uh, have meat in your freezer. Maybe you could last a month. You, most of Ugandans don't have a refrigerator, freezer, pantry. They go to the market every day to buy what they need for that day. So when you close everything, there's no money and there's no food. And so the Ugandans had no food. When the president locked things down, they had nothing. And so it was very difficult for them. <clears throat> but God provided us uh, through several churches and individuals almost $40,000 to buy food. And so we were able to put food packages together of flour and rice and beans and salt and give them out, first of all, to our church people to help them. Then we were able to give to our neighbors, churches in the village, uh, teachers that couldn't teach anymore, the boater riders. We gave out thousands of packages of food, and many people even got saved. Some of them said, this is so strange. My church gives me an envelope. You know what that means? You know the envelopes you see in the, in the pew there? That's forgiving, right? So what these churches will do is they will go and visit their people but give them an envelope so that they can give their money. We had one guy, he said, m m you came to visit me with food. I don't even know your church, but you brought us food. My church brings me an envelope. So the Lord gave us a tremendous testimony and many people got saved during that time. We did not have any kind of Zoom or, or online service, services because remember, they don't even have food. So how can I ask them, go down to the, the telecom agency and buy data and put it on your phone so you can watch me preach when they don't even have food? And so that meant we don't have services. There's no way for they to watch anything. So I went and visited them every week. I would walk or ride a bike and go to them. My wife would print some material out that we could give them during the week so that they could keep themselves strong. At the same time, we had about 50 people being discipled every week. And so by the time those six months were over and we were able to open up, our church actually grew. So it's such a blessing that God allowed us to get through that time of COVID. Then the next year, we were locked down again. This time we were locked down only three months, but we were ready. So when they locked us down, we kind of knew it was coming, and so we were prepared. And what we did is our town is six miles square, three miles by two miles. Now, there's 100,000 people in that small area. And so what we did is we divided the town up into nine different regions. And so if you lived in this town or this part of town, you would go to this person's house. We had nine leaders, nine men, and they led Bible studies every week, Sunday and on Wednesday. We couldn't come to the church building. The building was closed, but the church was alive and well. And we were meeting in nine different areas around town. We were only supposed to have five people at these uh, meetings, but sometimes we'd fudge it. 10 to 14, but that's okay because the chief of police and his wife came to our Bible study. And so I thought if he's coming to ours and we're having a few more than five and he's okay with it, we're good to go. And so the Lord blessed during the second lockdown. We learned a lot about how to do things if it ever happened again. So the devil used that to try to discourage people and to close the churches, but all he could do was close the building. And that's okay because the church is not a building. I know we refer to we're going to church tonight or tomorrow we're going to church, but never in Scripture do you see the church being referred to as a building. It's people. And so while the devil may have closed the building, he did not close the church. 
When the lockdowns were over, we were able to start a ministry with the pygmies. Now, this is a group of people that are considered undesirable by even the Uganda government. The, the agency that oversees them is called the Uganda Wildlife Authority. They're seen as animals, and they understand that. They know they're treated like animals. But to be able to go to those people and share with them that they are not an animal, they are made in the image of God, and God loved them, and Jesus died for them, and he'll save them. What a blessing to see them get saved. They've never had hope before. Uh, we're still working. It's a very unusual ministry because of the movement of the, of the pygmies, but we're looking forward to when we go back to hopefully getting a church started among the pygmies. What a blessing. I'm, I'm so looking forward to that. Our fishing through footballing ministry where we get two teams together and they, they play each other and then we preach the gospel to them. Because of that, we got the church started there in Shinaiobio. What a blessing that was. And here's a, here in the middle of nowhere, uh, this is a village that we would pass through on the way to Brother Brian's village of Karsandara. And one day as we were passing through this trading center, we noticed there was usually a lot of people outside. And so I had one of the guys count. I said, in the... 20 seconds or 30 seconds that it takes us to drive through this trading center. I want you to count the people you see. And so he did. As I drove through, you go in, turn left, go through a little bit and turn right. Within about 30 seconds, he counted over 100 people just in a small trading center. And we said, we need to get a church started here. Not knowing that a little bit later in the future, God would have us have a football match, a soccer match. And from that, a guy would say, hey, I like your preaching. Will you come and preach at my school? Well, that school was in that trading center. People got saved. They began to be discipled. And now there's a church in that very trading center where we said there needs to be a church here. God's so good. Up in the mountains, uh, it's a tough place to go. The roads are not roads. (laughs) I'll just put it that way. Uh, They're more paths and pig trails. And so you need a good vehicle to get up there, and God has provided us one of the best ones to be able to get up in the mountains and to be able to reach those people. And they tell us when we get up there, nobody comes up here. It's too hard. And so thank you for coming up here to preach the gospel. It takes about two hours to get up there, and then you have to park the vehicle, and then you walk another 30 minutes to this village. Nobody knows about those people. Nobody in the world knows about the village of Dibwediachona. It'll never make the news. It'll never be a highlight of anybody's uh, career. But there are people in that village that have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, and they love the Lord, and they are preaching the gospel to other people. I wish I could take you there. I wish you could see these people who have nothing. And I'm not trying to make us feel guilty because we live in America where we have everything. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. But to whom much is given, much is required. Amen. Uh, We have much, but we've been blessed to be a blessing. We're able to go into schools. Schools are wide open. You could preach in 10 different schools every week. If that was your ministry, not necessarily church planning, but preaching in schools, you could have a ministry to thousands every week. My wife has learned sign language, Ugandan sign language. And so she is able to uh, talk to the deaf there. The deaf is another group of people that are uh, considered undesirable. Uh, She taught our kids, she taught some others, and they've been able to teach other Ugandans. And so the ministry reaching these deaf people is continuing on, and we're so thankful for that. We're translating the scriptures into Lukonzo. You know, here in America, we we take it for granted. uh, And we fight over things that, yes, they're important, but 
There's so many people in the world that don't have one copy of the scriptures in their language. Now think about that. How many versions do we have? And there's more coming every day. Most of the people in Uganda, they don't even have a Bible in their language. Thankfully, we're able to be working. We have a team that is working on translating the scriptures into the Lakonzo language. We have a John and Romans, and that is the first scriptures that have ever been in that language. And we're working on the New Testament right now, and then eventually the entire Bible. What a blessing to be able to go to the mountains, hand them a copy of the Word of God in their language, and tell them this is free for you. What a blessing. Now, you probably heard about the... Um, the dowry situation and the goats. In Uganda, we talked about this in the teen class this morning. In Uganda, to get married, you have to pay a dowry. So the guys have to pay a dowry to the father-in-law of their, or the father of their, their bride. Uh, and they, you have to pay in goats. The, the people that we work with, uh, the Bakonzo people, you have to pay 12 goats. Now, one goat is equal to a month's salary for them. So if you can imagine having to pay a year's salary to get married. And I'm not going to ask you how many of you would have done it. I'll get in trouble. <clears throat> so imagine you have this country where they're, they're barely struggling to get by. And they find a, a woman they want to marry, but they have to pay a year's salary. There's no way. And so they just begin to live in fornication. They get saved. Both of them get saved. And then through the discipleship, they realize, hey, this is sin. We need to do what's right. So they come and say, Pastor, what should I do? And I'll say, first thing you must do is you must separate. Well, we want to get married, Pastor. I understand that, but God is not going to bless you or help you get married if you're still living in sin. You've got to separate. So when they make that decision to separate, and then they come back and say, all right, Pastor, we've done that. What's next? And I say, go to the father-in-law. Talk to the father-in-law. Maybe you can negotiate. <laughs> ah, that was good. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you can get him to reduce on the number of goats so that you can get wed. Maybe you can go and say, look, Dad, uh, we did wrong, but we're now saved. We're Christians. We want to do what's right. Would you help us? Would you reduce on those goats a little bit so that we can get married? Some of them will say, all right, you pay half now, pay half after you get married. Some of them will say, I'm so glad you're a Christian. Get married right now. Some will say, 12 goats. <laughs> Some are sticklers. But they'll come back and say, oh, pastor, I talked with the father. He wants six goats, and I've got three. I need three more. All right, well, let's pray for three goats. Another one would come back. Pastor, he said five goats. I've only got one goat. We need four goats. All right, let's pray for four goats. So in all these ministries, it was amazing how about the same time we had all these couples that were getting saved but had to separate, but there's no way they can save money for the, for the dowry because they're barely struggling. It was amazing. God provided the equivalent to 82 goats. And so we had 15 weddings in seven months. It was great to see these young couples, these uh, new converts that had gotten saved, but had taken the step of faith and done what was right. And then God began to bless. And it was so exciting to see them doing what's right. And then they could come to our couples conference. And that number began to grow every year because of those that had gotten wed. And it's such a blessing to see them begin to live a life according to the word of God. Because they pay for the goats, or because they pay the goats to get their wife, many times they see their wife as their property. And you understand that. If I paid for my wife, 
then she's my property. Just like I paid money for my car or I paid money to build a house. So there's a mentality there that the women are property. So you have a lot of abuse. Uh, you have a lot of issues between them, but it's such a blessing to see them truly begin to love each other as husband and wife, not as property, not as some inferior person, and that all comes from teaching them the Word of God. And we're so thankful for those couples who have begun to do what is right. Now, while we're here on furlough, we have three men who are there in Uganda that are leading the churches. Brother Joshua is leading the church in town. Brother Amon is leading the church in Chinayobio, and Brother Jokum is leading the church up in Ibuediachona. The purpose for each one of these is that they will become the full-time pastors of these churches as we slowly work with them and teach with them and kind of pull ourselves back to, to let them start taking the lead. And so I'm so thankful for these men who are doing this work. Pastor Brian, he's on his own. He's doing a great job there in Karasandara. We've got about 35 men and women who are in Bible college right now. They're continuing their learning. And so even by the time we get back, some of them will be ready to graduate and we'll be able to continue working with them. The blessing right now is all the ministries you saw in the video, they're being done by the Ugandans. They're all doing it. It's not me. It's not any other missionary. They're doing the work. And, and that is such a blessing that they've stepped up uh, to, to do the work. So when we go back, Lord willing, we're going back in September. I wish it could be sooner, but that's the plan to go back in September. The desire is to turn that church in town over to Pastor Joshua so that he can continue that work. And then that will give us the freedom to be able to move around to these other church plants and preaching points and new churches and encourage them and continue teaching them. Some of the guys in Bible college will be graduated, as I mentioned. We, they want to start churches, and so we'll be able to go with them and help them get, uh, get some other churches started. We really want to encourage these churches, kind of like Paul did when he would go back to these places. He says, let's go visit them again to encourage them and, and edify them. And so that's what we want to do to encourage these new churches. Some of them need help with some land to have a building. Some of them need help to build a building. What we tell them is we say, all right, you get the bricks. You make the bricks on your own. And when you have enough bricks, then we'll come with the sand and cement and help you put the building up. When you get to the roof, you put the rafters on, we'll come and put the iron sheets on so that they have a part in this. It's not just uh, money from the foreign, uh, foreigners that they're giving free. They've got to have some, uh, some skin in the game. And so uh, some of them need help with that land or that building, with projects and other things. Some of the pastors need motorcycles so that they can get around to their people. And so we want to try to raise some money for some of those things, but we want to continue the mountain ministry and just continue to encourage these people because it's difficult. Life is hard for them. We have so many resources here in America. We really do. Conferences here and, and meetings here and these people doing this and literature here, they really have very little. And so it's up to us as the missionaries to go back and encourage them and help them so that they can be strong in the Lord. Now, here's my challenge to you, and I'm finished tonight. What we're doing in Uganda is not unique to Uganda, nor Africa. It should be done right here in the U.S. There's no difference. There is not a foreign mission field to God. Now, we think of foreign missions, or we think of missions as someone going outside of America. But who's going to America? Who is reaching the people here? I, I, I appreciate the songs that were sung. But did you look at the words? My mission field. That was the third verse of um, the last song we sang. My mission field. Let me look around me. My mission field is right here. If this is where God has you, this is your mission field. Amen. This is where you're supposed to be. It's not just the pastor's responsibility. 
It is every Christian's responsibility, especially church members. You know, churches plant churches. That's the way it works. And again, it's not buildings, it's people. Churches plant churches. That's what we do in Uganda. It's what we do in America. You're a part of this church. This is not a club where you just come when you feel like it and you just come and sit and you enjoy and then you leave and you come back and you sit. And that's what a club is. This is a church. A church is supposed to be moving forward. The Bible says the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Something's going on. Are you involved in that? What if you were up here giving this report for the last five years of your ministry? Well, I'm not behind the pulpit. I have a job. Okay, how many of those people at work have you led to Christ? How many of them even know you're a Christian? What about your neighbors? Well, those, those neighbors, they come from a foreign country. They kind of speak a different language. They dress funny. Their customs are different. So I just, I kind of leave them alone. Shame on us. Shame on us. Many of these people, and I'm not getting into politics, okay? We're, we're past politics here. Many of these people have come from countries where they cannot hear the gospel. There's no one allowed in the country preaching the gospel. And I know some of these people are praying, God, show me the truth. They don't know what the truth is. They don't know what a Baptist is. They don't know what a Christian is. But they know God is there, and they're begging God to know the truth. And God says, if you seek for me, you will find me. So maybe God allows them from their country where there is no gospel to come here to America and Get a house next to a Baptist church member so they can hear the gospel. But what do we do? Mm. They're different. They might be a terrorist. How many terrorists have you ever seen? Most Muslims don't know a terrorist. And even if they are, how do we expect them to change? How do we expect a terrorist to stop being a terrorist? What is going to stop him? The word of God changes lives. But the word of God sitting there will do nothing. You and I have to pick up that word of God and go and tell someone how they can be saved. Are you involved in that work here in this church? Church planting? That's going soul winning, telling people about Jesus Christ, whether at work, whether at home, your neighbors. I'm sure you shop at the same supermarket every week or every month. You probably know those people by now. Have you given them the gospel? Do they know you're a Christian? We can all do that work. It's every Christian's responsibility. And then once they're saved, get them in here so they can be baptized, so they can make that public profession of their faith in Christ. And then let them be taught the word of God. Get involved in that. There's classes that can be taught, discipleship, something that you can be involved in because it's every Christian's responsibility. It's not just my responsibility. It's not just the pastor's responsibility. It is every person's responsibility. So my challenge to you tonight is this. You've given to us. I thank you for that. You've prayed for us. I'm so thankful for the time you've spent praying for us. I'm so thankful you've trusted us with finances. And we're going to continue, Lord willing. But I challenge you. Don't let that be enough. This is your mission field. You get involved here just like we're involved in Uganda. Amen? Thank you so much, Pastor.